Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. And today we have Scott Massey, the CEO of Global Action Platform. So excited to have you on the Action Catalyst, Scott. Welcome. Thank you very much. Delighted to be with you. Excellent. Well, Scott has his PhD in cybernetics from Vanderbilt University, and he has spent the last 20 years working with Harvard, uh, implementing a lot of the uh, practices from uh, Dr. Porter's book, Microeconomics of Competitiveness. And uh, to get us started, I'd love, uh, the audience is probably sitting there thinking to themselves, what in the world is cybernetics? And how do you, when you get a PhD in that, why do you get a PhD in that? And then how, how does that, uh, how do you use that today? Well, that's, that's a very good question. My parents had that question as well at one point. Uh, the, um, the origins for my study in cybernetics and systems theory uh, went back to my attempts to understand how the modern world really got started and how a different scientific model and a different view of nature has so dramatically reshaped the way we think about the world, the way we think about ourselves, and really created so much of what we think of as uh, our everyday experience of the world today. So I really wanted to try to understand how all of that came about and to look at new ways of reinterpreting it. Uh, I felt that, uh, and this goes into some philosophy here, so if those who don't want to can just uh, pay no attention for a minute, but uh, the modern world, I think, has uh, gone through a kind of reductive materialistic phase, and we're on the other side of that now, looking for new ways to understand ourselves, the natural world we live in, and find more constructive ways to create communities, businesses, and reorder our lives as we move forward. So I found cybernetics, systems theory, hierarchy theory, and a number of emerging new sciences as an important set of concepts to help us reinterpret uh, the way uh, we live as we move forward. Cybernetics itself is really the foundation of computer coding and language. And it's really about the idea that everything that is organized has some underlying code or instructions, some patterns that make it what it is. Uh, and I think that's uh, important as we look at business, as we look at our communities, as we look at the natural sciences. So that's a little bit far field, but uh, those are some of the peculiar reasons that may be interested in studying cybernetics and systems theory. Wow, so would artificial intelligence fall into that realm? Yes, artificial intelligence is clearly one of the um, uh, new disciplines that comes out of cybernetics. Uh, how do you code something like that? How do you code a self-organizing, self-thinking system uh, to deal with data and to come up with new solutions? So, so tell us a little bit about that. I know a lot of listeners probably have different opinions about it. 
what are your thoughts about the good, the bad, and your personal philosophy with artificial intelligence? Well, that's a that's a big topic. It's it's kind of the um, uh, uh, Frankenstein, Saucer's Apprentice uh, concern. Have we created a system that's going to run away from us and uh, start to control us instead of we use it to control uh, things uh, uh, as we would like them to be controlled? <clears throat> Clearly, artificial intelligence provides some remarkable new ways for us to look at data, look at information, find new solutions uh, that it would take a long time for human beings to calculate. The artificial intelligence applications can plow through that data and see patterns and see solutions that would take us too long, perhaps. Uh, but we want to be sure that we don't let it uh, run away from us and uh, start to draw the conclusion that the real problem in the world is all those human beings out there keep messing up the system and not following the rules. Uh, you know. So that's, I guess, where the concern would be. Do you think, left unchecked, that that actually could play out in reality if we didn't pay attention to it? I, yes. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very powerful application. And we are obviously creating enormous amounts of data that has never existed before in human history. So, um, the potential is there. Uh, we simply have to be wise and careful stewards of the new technology that we're creating. This is why I think it's always important for human values to really drive scientific uh, work and research so that it's really put to good use to make human life uh, more meaningful and more valuable. Wow. Well, and I know that was uh, probably part of your inspiration to start Global Action Platform. And tell us about the origins of Global Action Platform and what it's currently doing today to serve the world. Sure. Well, thank you. <clears throat> the um, origins of Global Action Platform, and our, our mission, by the way, is to advance scalable, sustainable solutions for abundant food, health, and prosperity. We believe that there are strong connections between economics, human health, and uh, food system. So we wanted to look at solutions and innovations that draw those three areas of uh, research and business development together so that we could identify solutions that really have the economic capacity to sustain themselves and the capacity to go to scale. So you're not just doing a few little pilot projects, but you're actually enabling every human being in the world to experience economic opportunity, to have a healthy life, to have nutritious food, and therefore to flourish, uh, to have an abundant life, if you will. And um, key to doing that, we felt, was bringing together major research universities business and investors so that they could start to work together. Uh, the university is a great place for doing research, coming up with new ideas and solutions. They're not that good about scaling them or getting them out of the academy into the real world. You need business, you need capital. So if you get capital, business expertise, and the inventiveness uh, embedded in the university working together in the system, <laughs> Uh, then you can really create more opportunity 
and address a lot of the challenges that we face in today's world. So um, that was kind of a lofty uh, vision. And at a local level, one of the other reasons for creating it was the fact that here in Middle Tennessee, in Nashville, we have 10 R1 through R3 research universities, which collectively bring in over a billion dollars of sponsored research into our region every year. And yet you'd be hard pressed to find the economic impact in the local economy of all of that funding and all of that research activity and all of that creativity. So we wanted to try to build a collaborative platform, bring these universities together, tie them more closely with local businesses, tie them more closely with local investors so that we could continue to strengthen the local economy of Nashville and Middle Tennessee. We have tremendous assets here, but they have to be connected in the right way, in a strategic way, and the right kind of clusters, as Michael Porter would put it, need to be built so that you have a growing, inclusive, shared value economy for the region. Mm. T- tell us more about that. It was so great meeting uh, Dr. Michael Porter at Harvard with you and uh, seeing your friendship and, and, and you guys working together for 20 years. And the concept of shared values is one at Southwestern we deeply believe in. And uh, that's the root. Uh, as you know, we were founded in 1855. And the reason we've made it through everything since 1855 through today and are striving through the, the current situation, we feel is our shared values and our principles and that we have deep rooted principles at Southwestern and we make decisions based on those principles and values. And so this was a topic that when, when hearing Dr. Porter talk about it and reading the book, Microeconomics of Competitiveness, it just, it blew me away at, at this concept. And I know this is something we have in common. Would you extrapolate on that and tell us a little bit more about how that works? Sure. Let me um, give it in a little historical perspective how Porter started his research and then the series of ideas that have come out of that leading to shared value. Uh, Porter started his research early in his career by looking at where is economic uh, growth really happening in the world and why is it that it happens some places better and more effectively than other places. You would think with the internet, with capital markets around the world, with best practices, easy to spread all over the world, that everybody would be moving toward a similar kind of performance level in terms of economic growth and development. But when you look at the data, you see that there's widespread divergence. Some places are really doing well economically, they're dynamic and vibrant. Other places are really struggling with endemic poverty that they can't seem to get out of. So why do you have this wide variation in economic performance since we can all get the same information, access capital, best practices, and so forth? As Porter then looked more closely at those places where economic activity was doing really well, he realized it was because of some unique local conditions. These regional economies were deeply interconnected. They were systematic in their approach to their business practices and their economic growth. So, um, for example, let's use an illustration from Nashville, the music industry 
has been one of the clustered industries that has made Nashville so successful economically. Uh, you not only have the songwriters, you have performers, you have the backup musicians, you have the publicists, you have the marketing, you have the labels. All of these industries fit together in a jigsaw puzzle-like pattern to create this interlocking system of businesses. And because they're so well interconnected in a place like Nashville, the music industry here is much more competitive than it is in other places where you lack this kind of clustering of businesses. So Porter said, there's the key. If we really want to help local economies and national economies do well, we need to help local economies create strong clusters that are connected together, that have global markets, and that are very dynamic, innovative, creative, and keep moving that particular industry forward. So uh, that's how Porter's research started. That's why the idea of these clustered businesses is so important. And then as he's consulted with businesses and CEOs and governors and governments <clears throat> in helping to put these kind of solutions together, he began to notice that um, we were still struggling with another problem, and that was widely diverging prosperity. Even though you had uh, economic growth in certain areas, some people were doing extremely well, some people continued to do very poorly. And so you get this widening inequality of income and prosperity and economic opportunity. How do we solve that? Well, that's how Porter and Mark Kramer came up with the idea of shared value, which really is a kind of common sense idea, uh, like, the, uh, like the principles you have at Southwestern, like the way business used to be operated maybe 100 years ago. The idea is that business doesn't succeed simply on its own. Business succeeds when the communities and the networks of people that they impact succeed and flourish and do well as well. So it isn't enough for a business simply to have a narrow focus on certain economic growth uh, factors. The business also, in its very core strategy, needs to think about the values it's trying to live by and to use its expertise and economic capacity to help others do well uh, as well. So Porter and Kramer have now developed um, a whole set of strategies to help businesses who want to go back and broaden their mission and uh, look at the ways that they interact with their supply chain, how do they deploy capital, uh, the inclusiveness of the company's culture, a wide range of issues uh, gets reintegrated back into the business practice through this new idea of shared value. And uh, the ultimate aim is for business to do well and in the process, help communities and the people that it touches do well as well. So. That is just awesome. I love it so much. You know, it, it is interesting at the different levels that you can apply that. With uh, Southwestern Family of Companies, we are uh, big proponents of 
organizations like United Way and um, local charities like Safe Haven and uh, many, many others where we corporately will do a variety of different things to help support them. But then it's a next level when you create a culture where your team actually also are sharing the values and giving back and helping support people globally and having initiatives that are built into the culture. Like our core values are invest, inspire, and impact. And everybody across all 25 companies knows that. And it's fun. You'll, you'll see teams actually set goal, giving goals. And Dan Moore, the president of Southwestern Advantage, talked about one of our top producers that's out selling educational products door to door, dedicated an entire week of his profits to support a charity uh, two weeks ago. And so just hearing you say that, and hopefully for the listeners, and they're thinking of ideas of how do you take that concept and actually apply it? Those are a few ideas that, that we've been doing and the team loves it and, and rallies around it. And uh, so it's really important. That's great. That's great. I'll give you another example. Um, yes, Coca-Cola, please do. Coca-Cola needs clean water in order to produce its product. Well, in many developing uh, countries, there's, it's very hard to get access to clean water. So they had tried to get governments in these places to take steps to improve water quality so that they could use the water. And we're really not making major strides in having access to clean water. So Coke said, well, look, we're in the, um, we're in the beverage business. Why don't we use our expertise and create a subunit that's about water purification and creating uh, drinkable water. That became a profitable unit within Coca-Cola, and they could either give it or uh, sell it at a very reduced price in these markets where they were having trouble getting clean water. So it was good for them. They had the clean water that they needed. It was good for the community. It was good for the governments. Uh, and they used their own business expertise to solve that problem. Uh, that, and that's going to what Dr. Porter talks about around using your natural resources and, and maximizing what you currently have. You know, what, what we've been working on and you've, you've been a part of helping us with is the Southwestern Global Academy and taking intellectual property and helping parents with their education needs at home, which is, you know, in the middle of COVID-19 overnight, everybody all of a sudden is a stay-at-home teacher. <laughs> and so figuring out, okay, well, we have this product that we already are using. How can we take it to the next level to serve the community? And that's more what you're uh, a better definition of the shared values. Well, that's a great example. You saw a market opportunity, the resources, the assets that you had, and you deployed those assets to meet this new opportunity, which really helps parents and the children and the families and it's, it's also an addition to the uh, revenue stream for, for the company. So it, it's, uh, it's beneficial all the way around, uh, not just beneficial to the company. Yeah. T- tell us a little bit about what you think um, with the social side of it. So there's a lot of social problems happening all around us. Um, I wouldn't say it's new. I would say this is just the way of the world is <laughs> there's always problems and, and social responsibility. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is. I actually personally think as I travel and I get to see other cultures, 
America does a better job at going after this and taking it serious than, than possibly even some other countries might. Uh, but it takes a lot of travel for you to kind of see the, to have the comparison. Um, what are your thoughts of some of the issues right now and, and how they're being dealt with and a business's role to help do it where it's not political, but it's actually providing solutions? Right. Well, that's, that's um, a unique role that I think business can play when we're in crises moments like this in our history. And it's, it has been a, just a cascading series of crisis upon crisis upon crisis. The um, uh, health crisis with COVID and the um, uh, economic hardships and problems that have emerged uh, it's, it's revealed places where there were uh, problems that had been sort of ignored or not seen as clearly, perhaps, as, as we should have. So it's brought all of these issues about the social fabric and uh, equity and economic opportunity to the fore in the midst of dealing with this incredible health crisis. Um, that's the kind of environment in which business can play a significant role as a provider of solutions. Just as we were saying with this educational uh, issue just now, uh, education is gonna look quite different on the other side of COVID. Uh, not only because we've been trying new things that we wouldn't have tried probably before, but because um, we found that we can deploy technology in new ways to reach more people and to deliver quality learning experience. The world is exploding in developing countries. The largest population in developing countries is in the uh, uh, youth area. These, these children, over a billion people, don't have access to classrooms and no one is building enough uh, actual facilities to house all of these people who are coming into the new global economy in the next 20 to 30 years. So how do we serve them? How do we reach out to them? How do we help them? Here's where what you're doing is creating a new kind of uh, business model and a new way to make services of education, which have been provided in one way, now we have multiple ways. Uh, so I think business using its, its creativity, its focus on innovation, its incredible uh, breadth of workforce uh, that can be engaged in coming up with these solutions and then scaling them. Uh, one of the things that business does extremely well is scale solutions. And uh, so I think there's a, there's a significant role that the business sector can play non-politically in actually producing scalable, sustainable solutions. <laughs> that is, that's great. And yeah, it is, there, there's so many people talking right now and people feel, you know, it is good to be educated and to talk and to have open conversations, but um, without works and without result, you know, without doing something, you can't create the result to make a difference. And, so I love the way you put that, where it, it, it's doing more than just talking about it. It's actually finding a solution, looking for the need, 
and and being part of of uh, fixing whatever that problem might be. And so, uh, I love even the name Global Action Platform because it's forcing you to acknowledge you have to take action to help the world. <laughs> and so. Right. Uh, and we just like this podcast, the action catalyst. <laughs> and so, uh, that was part of the negotiation with the universities. We started with our ten local universities and these ideas, uh, but from the start, we wanted to say it's not just about talking about the ideas or identifying the problems and coming up with a catalog of all the world's woes. Who's doing something about it? How can we bring all the players together? to collaborate and to come up with real solutions that change the world for people. Mm. Love it. Love it. What are some of your thoughts on how the listeners, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of people that are, that are, you know, looking at this. And if you watch the news, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of people that just could sit around and wait to see what's going to happen. What advice would you give people on how to redefine possible for their for their lives and their career and what what uh, they could do right now to find opportunities to make an impact. That's really what life is all about: uh, redefining what's possible. And every time you run into an obstacle or a setback, you say, "Not I'm defeated. I give up." <laughs> but what does that open as a new opportunity for you? Um, how do I look at this situation in a new way and find uh, a way around the obstacle or a way to use the obstacle as part of a bigger solution? Um, this, is a, this is a really interesting historical inflection point because uh, a lot of things that were moving uh, in different directions have kind of come to a head and uh, we're going to have to uh, find better ways, more effective ways of working together. Uh, there's another term that Porter and Kramer have come up with called collective impact. Mm. And uh, tell us about that. Yeah, the idea of collective impact is if you look at the big challenges, the global challenges we face in, the, in our daily life, the challenges we face personally within our communities, within our homes, within the world, these challenges don't get solved by single kinds of solutions. Uh, in the community, you need to bring together all the different organizations that may be working, let's say, on poverty. We know that there are, in every community on the planet, areas uh, where poverty is endemic. And we have, since the Second World War, invested billions and trillions of dollars uh, in these areas without really solving the problem of poverty. To solve the problem of poverty, you can't just deal with poverty. <laughs> you have to look at the nutrition, the health, the economic opportunity, the education, um, access to other resources. There's a whole network of issues that have to be combined. And that's what the concept of collective impact is all about. 
get all the government agencies, all the nonprofits, all the foundations, the businesses in a particular area that are in their silos. I've got my poverty program, you've got your poverty program, I've got this charity, you've got charity. All that disconnected work is good, but it doesn't have the kind of impact it could have if those things were integrated, brought together in a shared agenda, put the egos aside, and get everybody to work toward uh, how each of their contributions makes the problem, uh, solves the problem. So uh, a lot of the solution, I think, moving forward with the challenges we're facing <clears throat> is like that, finding ways to bring together multiple parts of a solution, piecing them together, working more collaboratively, building closer personal relations within our family, within our community, within our businesses, and out of that, uh, finding the ways to work together to solve the problems that we face. Wow. Wow. I mean, my mind is just so blown right now because I know the listeners are leaning forward going, yes, I've been wondering about some of this and what to do about it. And, you know, there, there's terms that are getting coined. I don't know if they are new, but they're resurfacing where people say things are systemic or things are systematic. And here we are with a PhD in, in cybernetics of systems. And you're on the people side of it too, which is also interesting. You know, how do you think uh, people are misviewing that term of, of things being systemic and what would be, and you just touched on the right way to fix those type of problems, you know, just because it's a hot topic, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the right and the wrong way of viewing something that truly is systemic versus something that is being politically thrown out there. Right. Well, I think one key to that is if seeing the systemic nature of a problem leads to a solution, then that's, a, that's an accurate understanding of it as a systemic problem. If it is to make the problem impossible to solve because it's systemic, <laughs> then that's, that's, that's not the right way to think of systemic problems. The point of seeing the systemic nature of a problem is to give you more tools so that you know, well, I need to do these multiple things and work together to solve the problem. Uh, I can't just do it on my own or in isolation from others and the assets and the resources that they bring. But if you use it as a kind of defeatist concept, well, this is systemic poverty. This is systemic racism. Therefore, we can't do anything about it except destroy the entire system. Uh, that's not a very helpful uh, way to approach it, man. Uh, again, I'm just I'm just sitting here processing this through all the different things going on in the world and going, yes, being able to put into action solutions to systemic problems. You know, I, I think of of people like uh, Nelson Mandela who successfully did that, and. Um, you know, there's so many things that you can do that actually work. 
um, when you when you have a, a a thirty year plan and you and you start working at the root of it versus you know something else. And so um, I think I think that's a great example. Uh, any other examples that come to your mind? Nelson Mandela is the one that that really percolates for me. That that you have any other ones for the listeners who are <laughs> leaning forward right now? <laughs> uh, that's, let me think about that. I was just going to add um, the. Um, uh, I think it's also important if you're trying to solve a systemic problem that as one of the personal values you have to bring into that is setting aside your own ego and setting aside this dichotomy of right and wrong, here's the good and that's evil. And that does not enable systemic solutions. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, we're seeing too much of that, I think, in our uh, culture these days. We need to be able to work with people we disagree with strongly and find the value in their point of view that we can then connect with the value of this point of view and bring it all together. Aristotle said that the um, uh, statesman is an artist. Uh, you're not a scientist saying this is acceptable, that's rejected, but so that way. You're constantly trying to redefine the possible. You're constantly trying to bring multiple players and things to the table to work together. And so you have to have some compassion. You have to put your own ego aside. You have to be able to value uh, a different point of view and find a way to, uh, to really use it with others. Uh, amen. I, you know, it's interesting what you're saying. Either you're right or you're wrong. That is a tool that has been used through history. If you read every uh, (laughs) group that has existed for hundreds of years, making somebody right and some group wrong is a way to to distract, divide, and and conquer somebody. Uh, Sun Tzu, Art of War, right? It's it's right right out of the book. Um, And so, what you're saying, I think, is is so spot on. Is is for unity and for people that really want to provide solutions to stop making everybody the enemy that has a different point of view, but to work together to, you know, it's interesting, every piece of feedback, not every piece, but a a lot of feedback when it's coming was from somebody who actually has the right heart. There's an element of truth in the feedback. Right. Uh, Even if you disagree with it, it's okay to hear it and consider it and think, okay, where can we do to improve and work upon that? And so- That's, that's what I'm hearing you say versus this polarization. Yes, I mean, that's been the genius of, of the American political system, uh, that we have found those ways to work uh, with very, very different points of view, but find the right kind of integrated solutions that draw upon the insights and the perspectives of all of these different, uh, different viewpoints. And that's the way our communities were built. Uh, I mean, I uh, know a bit about the history of Nashville. Nashville used to have, and is now trying to recreate this wonderful cross-sector group of leaders who would meet. No one could take notes because, and no one could use being a part of this group to advance their own business interests. 
the only point of the meeting of this group was to talk about problems that the community was facing and how they could use the resources that they had to address those problems, not looking to somebody else to come in and solve them for them uh, or uh, pile of money to come from somebody else to Nashville so that they could deal with the issue. But what do we have? How do we work together? And how do we solve the problems? That's the way communities have been built across this country. Wow. What if every community across the country and across the world took that attitude? Uh, what would happen to the world? I think it'd be a better place. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, gosh, time has been flying by, Scott. This has been just so uh, fun, educational, entertaining. And, and I think the audience is, is taking lots of notes, uh, like I am as well. Uh, in closing, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, there's a lot of people out there, and, and this, the name of this podcast, as you know, is The Action Catalyst. And right now, there's a lot of fear being spread. And, and people might feel paralyzed, and they might not know what to do. And with, with your business being a global action platform, and we're on The Action Catalyst, what would you say your advice would be to the listeners who are experiencing fear that are experiencing some kind of anxiety right now, just with the uncertainty, what would your advice be? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think, I mean, there are several levels to that. Obviously many people may be uh, in a position where they've lost their job or they fear losing their job Someone in their family may have COVID and they're struggling with that or suddenly they're trying to do their work and their children are there and they're trying to educate their children and do their work. Uh, there's so many facets to it. Um, but I think anytime we face crises like this, it's an opportunity to, number one, at a personal level, deepen one's own personal faith and um, the spiritual foundations uh, of your life. It's a, it's a time for more reflection and um, discovery, self-discovery. Uh, it's a time to rely more on the members of your family. Uh, when the world is going at 80 miles an hour and the children are spinning that way and the parents are going this way and the Extended families going in another direction, you know, it's very easy to lose touch with each other. And then when it all stops, it's a little awkward maybe to start <laughs> reconnecting. You just want to text with your parents instead of actually going downstairs and seeing them in person. Uh, so it's, it's an opportunity to rebuild some of those personal relations uh, and with friends. Uh, stay connected in new kinds of ways. Uh, it's an opportunity in, on the professional side to rethink what skills and talents you have, how you'd really like to deploy them in the world moving forward. Maybe it is exactly the job that you have and that's your path, or maybe you now see a new angle to that and you'd like to try to change your role in some way. Uh, so think creatively, reimagine the possible say and know that um, uh, 
no problem can defeat you if your imagination and your capacity for love are fully engaged. Wow. No problem can defeat you if your imagination and your capacity for love is fully engaged. I think that is a drop the mic quote right there. So I think that's all we need. Wow. Scott, that was just so great. Thank you, uh, Dr. Massey, uh, for helping just navigate uh, all the world's problems. I think we solved all the world's problems on today's uh, podcast. We, we covered the gamut. So <laughs> this is just so, so, this was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Also, Scott, if people wanted to know more about the Global Action Platform and how to get contact with you, what would be the best way to hear more and get engaged? The website is www.globalactionplatform.org. There's a a link there for uh, an info email that could be sent if somebody uh, wants to. I believe our phone number is also uh, on the website. And uh, we look forward to hearing from other people. That's great. Well, I'm sure there will be plenty of people interested in hearing more. So thank you so much, Scott, for being on the Action Catalyst. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.